0: Plenty of sharks over the last couple of weeks. I put my head down and looked at it and seen a nice two metre bronze whaler swim casually past me. But I put my hands up and sort of thumbs up and said, Hey mate, that was, that was a good one. And he turned around and he goes, Nah, it bit me. Started swimming frantically towards me, so I put my head under the water and, and seen quite a lot of blood. centre of north Bank, the car of the
1: breathing okay at the
0: moment.
2: Is it a big property? That blood pressure is not coming up. Hi, my name is Lana Mitchell from the Royal Flying Doctor Service. This is a podcast about life in the bush, mateship, courage, and the role that the Royal Flying Doctor Service plays in serving rural and remote communities. This is the Flying Doctor Podcast.
1: My name is Kira Lee Dargan from the Royal Flying Doctor Service. And I'm an Aboriginal woman of the Rajri Nation. This podcast has been recorded on Ngunnawal land and is being broadcast across all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nations. We at the Royal Flying Doctor Service want to acknowledge elders, past and present. The RFDS recognises that this is First Peoples land and always will be.
2: Australia is famous for sharks, we have lots of them. There are about 400 species of sharks around the world, and of these, around 180 species occur in Australian waters, and 70 are uniquely Australian. Sharks are found in all habitats around the Australian coastline, however, most are found on the continental shelf, primarily on the bottom. Many sharks are also found in coastal waters, and a small number are even found in freshwater systems, such as rivers and estuaries. This is a shark story. But it's also a story about a family that decided it was time to explore Australia's vast continent and spend quality time with children, explore, observe, learn and love. Blake and Rachel Bartlett live in Sydney and they have a family of three boys. Jackson, now 11 years old, Sammy, eight and Leo who is five. They travelled for 18 months all over the country. But about halfway into this trip, a shark changed things. Hello Blake and Rachel. Hi Lana. how, how you are going? you? I'm good, thank you. Blake, when did you decide that you wanted to travel Australia? I understand that you'd had that plan for quite a long time.
0: Yeah, we've always had the desire to travel. We've done a lot of Europe and that's where me and Rachel first met back in 06. So we've always had the bug for travel and I had a stroke when I was 33 and realised that life's too short and I wanted to spend more time with my family rather than work six days a week. So we decided to, yeah, save as much as we could and and get on the road.
2: Well, Blake, you're a plummet by trade and Rachel, you're an early childhood teacher. Rachel, how did you work out how to financially and organisationally take a couple of years off so that you could go away with the family and travel?
1: Um, Well, it was a bit of saving, that's for sure. I picked up an extra day's work and Blake was already working six, six days. And um, we we worked hard and we we saved a lot and I also had um, my long service leave and Blake had his long service leave so we were able to take that as well so that really helped um, fund our trip. We also um, had to rent out our house so that kind of paid off the mortgage and left left us a few extra dollars for our travelling. Do you have anything to sold add? Sold a few toys. Oh yeah, Blake sold a <laughs> Blake sold a few prized toys. His motorbike and. <laughs> boys
2: toys oh you sacrificed your boys toys for yeah. the trip yep that's dedication
0: yeah. Blake
1: and the children sold a few of their toys but yeah not as much as bikes
2: did you buy a caravan and a four-wheel drive or did you already have that
0: we bought a we already had a caravan but it wasn't set up for traveling it was more set up for it was boys toys motorbikes and stuff so we decided to get rid of that and purchase a brand new Kokoda caravan 22 foot uh big rig um which had all the luxuries in it um free bump beds and and yeah we bought a bought rachel a brand new car which we spent a year decking out getting it up to what we need to get it up to to be able to travel australia and hit all the bumpy roads and all that and not have any i guess stress that anything's going to go wrong on an older car yeah
2: did you do a lot of research before you started your trip on what you needed to take in terms of emergency provisions and that sort of thing?
1: Like did, yes.
0: Yeah, I've researched a lot of stuff. I mean, I've always been into cars, but I've always been into fast cars, not four-wheel drive. So going down that avenue was interesting, but it's a lot to set up. But once you're set up, I think we done it good. I think we are happy with our setup. Might be a few things, but at the end of the day, we were happy with what we had and, and it was comfortable to use.
2: Great. So you live in Sydney. Uh, What was the route, Rachel, that you and Blake decided to travel around Australia? Did you head north or south or west? There's really only three choices.
1: Yeah, we we headed south, but we, um, we were a little bit stopped in our tracks because of COVID. So we left September 2020 and Victoria had just come into a bout of COVID and lockdown. So we ended up having to do a bit of a loop around New South Wales and explore a bit of inner New South Wales and right up the top rather than so much of the coast for a couple of months before we um, headed straight through Victoria through to Tassie because they were still in lockdown. So our plans changed a little bit, which happens when you're travelling on the road.
2: And then clockwise. So, so you went from Tasmania then to South Australia or the...
1: Yeah, we did a little bit of Victoria after Tassie because they'd opened up their restrictions and then, yeah, then on to South Australia and then WA.
2: What was it like schooling three kids in a van and traveling? Was that a big shift for the family?
1: It was a little bit of a shift but it was actually okay. Um, we went through a um, distance ed program through Nepsode, um, Northeast Public School of Distance Education and they're from Port Macquarie and they were wonderful. The boys had the same teacher and she was really flexible we we had one online lesson a week and she was really flexible if we couldn't make that or if we had to um change change the day Um, they sent out a pack every month or so we had to just estimate where we would be at in a month's time and we'd just pick it up at the post office and then send send the old one back with all the finished schoolwork so it was. It was good.
2: You, your kids probably got a better deal out of COVID than everybody else's kids, because I remember that time clearly, and I had two kids here at home, and just oh, trying to school from home was just an absolute nightmare. So I think that you probably had the the best choice. Yeah,
1: we were pretty lucky actually. <laughs> it worked out well. So we'd do an hour of schoolwork, and then we'd go out and explore for the day. That's brilliant. All right, well, Blake, if you could take us
2: now to the story where you and the family are all the way up in the Kimberley and uh, you'd been on the road for many months and you were going snorkelling. Would you sort of describe for me where you were located, what sort of weather was it like, and, and could you describe the landscape?
0: A couple of days before, we were up in Exmouth and we were swimming with whale sharks. We were having an unbelievable time. And then we sort of knew the rains, there was quite a lot of rain coming. I think they were predicting 200 mil over a couple of days. So rather than head down to Coral Bay, which we missed on the way up because we had bookings in Exmouth, we thought we'll stay at a nice little station, stay that we'd heard lots about. It's got the infamous outdoor shower, which I think it's the most photographed shower in Australia. And we thought, oh, we'll, we'll stay there and we'll, knuckle down and do some catch up on some schoolwork that we missed because we we're enjoying ourselves so much in exmouth and i thought i'll i'll give a speak to the station see if they they need any plumbing done which i, d- I don't even think i parked my caravan and i had all, already had four phone calls to be able to give them a hand so yeah
1: they were crying out for yeah
0: help. so we worked for two days i worked for two days there and we sort of picked the best day when the rain sort of stopped to go and just do a day trip back down to coral bay um, and we thought, oh, we'll, we'll go and enjoy ourselves and have a snorkel down there at the Five Fingers Reef, which was a very popular snorkeling spot.
2: I've never been to Coral Bay. Would you mind just explaining uh, what does it look like when you arrive? Because it's quite a stunning location. I understand.
0: Yeah, so it's actually it's it's a pretty small little communal town. I guess there's a supermarket, a caravan park, and lots of sort of tourists boats and tours and stuff that you can do Little
1: four-wheel um, drive tracks
0: yeah there's there's a um four-wheel drive buggy tour and stuff like that so but a lot of it is just sand coastline along that area so beautiful free camps along there and but unfortunately that sort of point of time we didn't really have much time to explore too much coral bay that's why we dropped down there just to do a day i mean we would have loved to have stayed yeah. longer but yeah we just didn't sort of didn't have the time
2: so you're down there at Coral Bay and you're going to go snorkeling and was it just yourself and Jackson initially in the water where was Rachel
0: we all love snorkeling we all love getting out and having a having a snorkel with the turtles the fish and all that so me and Jackson generally head out first because the two younger boys they don't last too long in the water like they might only last 20 minutes but Jackson will be out for hours on end if he could, so.
1: He's the first one in and the last one out. Yeah, please. so
0: we went and um, scoped it out and just sort of found the best sort of area and stuff like that. We'd been out for about 45 minutes um, and then we head heading back to basically get Rachel and that to bring them in the water.
2: Were you just snorkelling, you know, observing and, and so forth from the surface or were you, do you and Jackson both dive down? I remember when... I was snorkeling, we would always be, you know, my father would spend more time on the bottom than he would at the top. Or were you fishing as well at the time with spearfishing and that sort of thing?
0: We, we do drop down. Um, me and Jackson like to go, and, and even the younger kids do it. They're capable of doing it too. But a lot of the bommies sort of come up. We were in probably about six metres of water. So the bommies come up to about three metres. So you dive down and then look under all the... What's a bommie? It's just a big formation of coral. Ah, okay. So, yeah, you dive down and have a look under all the coral and stuff like that and all the fish hide underneath it. Sounds beautiful.
2: Yeah, Jackson's pretty good at doing that. Yeah. So you'd been out there for about 40 minutes and then you decided that it was time to go in and collect the other two. Yep. Could you tell me what happened from that point?
0: So basically I tapped Jackson and said, we'll head back in and we'd gone, we're about 75 metres out, but we're probably still away from where we first went in, probably Three, three, four hundred 400 metres away from where we first went in because we sort of headed out and then headed up north along the coastline. So I tapped Jackson and said, oh, Carl, we'll head back in. And at the time that I tapped Jackson, sometimes he responds straight away. Being a kid, sometimes he doesn't. So I tapped him and said, Carl, let's go in. And then I noticed it was about four metres. Like, I didn't notice him next to me. So I looked back and he was about four metres away from me. And I popped my head up and I said, come on, mate, let's go. And he goes, oh, there's a shark, there's a shark. And we'd seen plenty of sharks and we'd been swimming with plenty of sharks over the last couple of weeks through like, the Ningaloo Reef in Exmouth and and stuff like that. And um, he goes, nah, nah, I put, my head, I, I put my head down and looked at it and seen a nice two-metre bronze whaler swim casually past me.
2: Two metres, that's a fair size.
0: Yeah, Holy no, there was, was a decent-sized shark. But I put my hands up and sort of thumbs up and said, "Hey, mate, that was that was a good one." And he turned around and goes, "No, nah, bit me." And I'm like, "What?" And then he, as he was swimming frantic started swimming frantically towards me. So I didn't know what was going on at that stage. But I put my head under the water and and seen quite a lot of blood, and thought, "Holy, I've got to get my son in now." So I sort of grabbed him under one arm and been able to do freestyle with the other arm. And because what we found out later, he'd lost both flippers. Both flippers got ripped off him by the shark. Basically, he was a dead weight. So he couldn't help, like he was trying to kick, but he was just, yeah, frantically sort of trying his best. But at the same time, I I had to do what I could to get him in. So
2: God, Blake, what was going through your head? I mean, I would just be freaking out if I was a parent and had had that happen was Jackson freaking out or was he
0: oh uh, like was he scared he, he was but I mean in instances like that you don't have time to think I I basically said to everyone it was like running on water everyone goes how'd you get him in and I was like well it was like running on water I was yelling yelling out to people on the beach and just screaming and saying help help and no one would come in and basically got about five meters away from shore and there was one person that come in and I ended up speaking to him the next day and he said, mate, I didn't want to come in because I knew what was out there and what had happened by the way you were yelling. And it was true, like he 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 didn't want to sort of he come when it was five meters and we we're probably in about a foot of water. As I was swimming in the back of my mind the whole time, I didn't know if I was getting trailed by a shark because there was blood um, coming out of Jackson's foot and... I mean, sharks like blood. Sharks get attracted to blood. So, yeah. fortunately for us, we we didn't see it again. But yeah, that was that was basically the story. When we got to the beach, we were very fortunate. There was the bloke that pulled Jackson in. The five metres to go. While I was taking off my flippers to get up the beach, he was part of. He was the instructor for a four-wheel motorbike tour. So he had a massive first aid kit on his on his on his motorbike, biking. and then. Two off-duty doctors just happened to be holidaying there from from Western Australia, and basically by the time I got up to the beach, they had already started, sort of had the first aid kit, started packing packing full bandages in Jackson's wounds and then strapping it all up. So,
2: what wounds did he have, Blake? Was it just on his foot, or was did he have wounds elsewhere?
0: So what what we found out later is off Jackson when he'd sort of calmed down a bit. His story goes, the reason why he wasn't next to me at the time because he's seen a shadow. And a couple of days before, we were swimming with the whale sharks on a tour. And after that tour, we got to do one more dive off the boat. And he's seen a dugong. He was excited to see a dugong, but we all missed it. So basically he's seen a shadow and he thought it might have been another dugong. But what had happened as he got closer, he realised there was a big shark
1: trying to swim away from yeah it he was then. trying to
0: swim away so the first time it hit him it just nudged him and we've done a lot of research since then and and read up and and met met people that have been attacked by sharks and stuff like that so the first instance for a shark because their eyesight's not that great is to nudge someone to sort of see what's going on so it nudged him first then it come back again and ripped one flipper off and that was on his left flipper, so he had lost his left flipper, and then it come back again, and bit him again from the come up from below and bit his other foot, the right foot, and with that, it, two of the shark's teeth actually slid down past Jackson's like ankle, so like ripped Jackson's foot apart. So basically, he had two two big gashes. One was about 40 mil long, four centimeters. And then I think the other one was about 170 mil long, so 17 centimetres. Yikes!
1: Yeah, it was quite deep too. But thankfully the two off-duty doctors were very reassuring. They said it had missed all the major arteries. Um, It just needed a compression bandage and that he would have to go down to Perth Children's Hospital. To get to, to have surgery on it.
2: So Rachel you are still at the other end of the beach right so how did you first know that something was wrong?
1: Yeah I was down at the other end of the beach and I didn't know what was going on there was a bit of commotion up the other end of the beach and I thought it, maybe someone had got stung by something from the quad bike tour because that's where those guys were and then it wasn't till a bystander had come running down the beach and she asked Mia said, are you Rachel? And I said, yes. And she's like, oh, your son's been injured. You need to come up. So obviously I got the other two and we made our way up the beach. And when I got to Jackson, he was, um, he was still pretty hysterical. Um, he was not wanting to go back in the water. I said, I never want to go back in the water. He was worried that he was going to die. So I just sat there and cuddled him and tried to reassure him. And I spoke to the doctors then and, and that kind of, Uh, comforted me um, having their knowledge about um, his injury because I didn't see it because it was all bandaged up when I got to him. Yeah. And so they kind of reassured me and I reassured Jackson and he kind of calmed down a bit and then oh, moments later the ambos were there.
2: Oh, wow. So, So they'd already called the ambos earlier. So it was pretty fast. They had
1: already called the ambos, yep. There was another bystander that helped with my other two boys just kind of you know, keeping them occupied and not worrying them too much. So everyone was really, really good, really, really helpful and really came together first. So we're very appreciative for everyone that helped on that day. I
2: talk a lot on this podcast series about first responders and the importance of people knowing first aid and being able to respond in an emergency. And it's quite amazing how people come together in times of need to be able to help out, as you say, even with the other kids who haven't been injured, but just assisting or helping you to be able to care for Jackson.
1: Yeah, 100%. They were, yeah, they were they were wonderful. It was really good. So you,
2: Jackson was loaded into the ambulance. Who went in the ambulance with Jackson?
1: So because...
0: It was an actual 4 drive ambulance because we were on a remote beach. At,
2: right. It was about
0: 15 minutes away from Coral Bay, this Five Fingers Reef, so... Because it is a 4 drive truck to get in there, it had to be a 4 drive ambulance, so none of us could go with the ambulance, so we had to just follow it as it got back into town to Coral Bay. Right.
1: So, yeah, the ambulance officer sat with... Jackson in the back one of them drove and one sat with Jackson in the back and we just had to follow them to the nurse's station very quickly it, yeah yes. yeah <laughs> frantically gathering bat belongings and heading back quickly
0: yeah so they're all volunteers too they don't I don't think they get paid either
2: that's right they're all first responders do amazing job just amazing job yep. so you got back to Coral Bay what were you informed then what were they able to do at that point
0: so there was a nurse's station, so the, the town's obviously that small. doesn't have a hospital or anything like that. So it's got a little nurse's station. And what you don't realise is WA is massive. Australia is massive. Basically, anything two hours outside of Perth, there's not a lot they can do for people. So the RFDS basically fly everyone from those locations down to Perth. So you can imagine Coral Bay's I think, 15 hours north of Perth, 16 hours north of Perth. So there's a lot of stretch of coastline. And then even when you get up further to Broome and that, they all have to get airlifted to big hospitals. So the RFDS do an amazing job. And, and I mean, if it wasn't for them, who knows where we would have been.
2: So they told you that they had to airlift him. Was there a, a runway or a strip that was close by?
0: Yeah, there was a little airstrip that was close by. We were informed that they were going to airlift him, and that was about the plane was about an hour away. So by the time they stripped all his wounds, which he didn't like too much because it had dried up a bit with the with them stopping the blood and that. So as they were t- dressing, redressing it, they were just tipping saline in it, but it was hurting him. Getting the old bandages out to redress it and stuff like that.
1: I think he had a bit of happy gas then.
0: Yeah, he was. Yeah, he might have been a bit of gas, but um, I mean the people at the nurse station, they were they were reassuring. They were they were amazing. And then we got told that the plane was there, so we he got loaded back up into the ambulance and driven out to the airstrip, um, which was probably only two minute drive down the road. And then yeah, he got loaded on the on the plane. By that stage, I think he was in happy spirits. He was going on a plane and, yeah, I think his wounds had sort of been in the back of his mind then because so, he was excited to go on a little plane with Mummy.
1: Yeah, so he got past the initial shock of it all and um, realised that he was going to be OK and then it was a little bit of an excitement going on the RFDS plane.
2: They are, they are pretty incredible aircraft because they are essentially intensive care units. So... Yeah, they're pretty cool. Though I jokingly always say it's the flight that you don't want to check in on, but we're always on time, <laughs> 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 and really and have really shitty in-flight entertainment.
0: <laughs> oh, I don't know. Ja- yeah. uh, Jackson sort of uh, had a hit. We we got invited to Jandicott base when Jackson got released to hospital, and and we went down there and looked through all the planes and all that. And they said, oh, what do you like most about the plane? And Jackson said, oh, the food was great. And they're like, what food? How'd you get food? So I think uh, they gave some him a few nurse, little snacks.
1: Some of, well, when they knew we weren't going to make it down by a reasonable hour and he wasn't going to be operated on until the next day um, and he was hungry because he hadn't had any lunch. The, yeah, the, the nurses had a few little snacks for him, so he was, he was quite impressed.
2: So you ended up having to travel by plane north, Rachel, before you could travel south, and that was because of weather, right?
1: Yes, and the the aircraft that we were originally on, the anti-demisters Demisters. weren't working properly, and for that plane to be able to land in Perth, the visibility would not be great at all. So, they ended up having to we ended up having to get a, a second plane. So we went north to Port Hedland first, and then we got another plane, and then that plane went all the way down to Perth. So it took a bit longer than. Um, estimated, and we didn't get into Perth until about 9, 9.30 at night.
2: Was there anybody else on the plane other than you and
1: Jackson? There was. There was another lady from the nursing station at Coral Bay, uh, an older lady that had actually got her thumb or finger caught in a winch, and so she Ooh. lost the top of it. And, um, yeah, Jackson was very worried for her, and he couldn't understand why because we'd had a little bit of media interest and he couldn't understand why they weren't interested in the lady that lost her finger more just interested in um jackson <laughs> jackson and i said oh when you put 10 year old boy shark attack um that's much more appealing to the media
2: so the media circus had already started at that point and, yeah and a little bit yep. the word then, had gotten out so when you arrived in perth did you know immediately that the media were there and wanting to get comments?
1: There were media when we arrived and um, the um, nurses and the pilot kind of shielded Jackson and me from them initially. Um, and they were also at Perth Children's Hospital when the ambulance arrived there too. So, But I didn't really have anything to do with them then because my main priority was to make sure Jackson was okay and that he'd have, had his, he would have his surgery before he um, even wanted to think about talking to the media. And it was up to him as well if he wanted to speak to the media or not.
2: Yeah, so surgery was planned for the next day. So meanwhile, Blake, you are thousands of kilometres away um, with two children, caravan, four-wheel drive. What are you doing?
0: We went back from Coral Bay to where we were staying, which was at Ballara Station. That was an hour drive back north. So we went back there, it was a Friday, so we went back there for Friday night, uh, Friday afternoon, once the plane had sort of left and we sort of got on the road and went back there. We had another couple of traveling families there, so wanted to let them know sort of what had happened and, and stuff, and so I had a lot of support from them too, which was good, basically, we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know when he was going to get operated, what was happening. I just stayed put there for Friday night. I didn't get on the road Friday night um, and then woke up Saturday morning and there's not a lot of reception up there so you've got to go. There's a little cafe there so you've got to go and I was went to the cafe I'd, on the phone to Rachel back and forwards and he still hadn't been operated on. I was scheduled to go that day and the morning um, but then a few more Things come up so he didn't get operated on until about two o'clock in the afternoon and Rach was still getting from Perth hospital one of the ladies was coming in going oh the media really want to come in The immediately and i said to Rach just push back say no just don't do any hink let's just get Jackson focused on for now and then we'll we'll sort it all out about i think it was about 12 o'clock they come in again and started pestering Rach and i said look i'll come down don't worry about it i'll drive down because at that stage the doctor sort of said, oh, he'll be operated on. It's all right, it's missed all main arteries. It's got a couple of veins, but that's, that's not really any issue. So he goes, oh, he'll be out of hospital in a day or two. And we're like, well, do I drive all the way down to Perth or do we just put him on a plane up to Exmouth and then go and pick him up when they come? And then because of course, so the media started sort of hassling a bit. I sort of said, oh, I'll stuff it, I'll just come down. So basically I think 12 o'clock that day, maybe even an hour earlier. Me and the boys packed up the van and jumped in the car, and I think we'd done 13 hours that day of driving. I think we drove into about three o'clock in the morning, maybe, and sort of pulled up on a on a roadside stop on the way down. And then we got back on the road probably about six o'clock the next morning and done three hours and we were in Perth. So it was a bit, I think it all up was about 17 hours of driving that we did bring in the caravan parks on the way got somewhere close for, to put the van in put the van in jumped in the car and then went straight to hospital so i think we we're in hospital by 10 o'clock that day the next day but yeah we got down there wow to see our little boy throw our arms around our little boy again
2: yeah you win husband uh, award of the year like <laughs> that's a long drive
0: Yeah,
2: <laughs> seriously long drive okay so uh jackson had his surgery and you're so lucky that it wasn't um, life-threatening or going to impact him. What did they tell you about rehab and how long it would take for him to recover? Because obviously, I presume now he's in a moon boot and he can't put any pressure on it and so on and so forth. It's it's sort of thrown a bit of a wrench in the works in terms of the family holiday and travelling around the country. What did you decide to do?
1: Well, yeah, he did. He had to have it in a moon boot for... Um, two weeks non-weight bearing, so he couldn't walk anywhere. We kind of asked Jackson what he wanted to do if we wanted to, if he wanted to stay in Perth for a couple of weeks, and we rest up there, or if we all fly back home to Sydney and just uh, finish our trip. And then he actually worked out with the solution that nanny, which is Blake's mum, was flying to Broome anyway in uh, ten days' time to meet us for a holiday that she'd already planned and he thought well I could just go home to Sydney and I can rest up there and I can see all my friends and my family and visit my school and, um, and then I can fly to Broome with Nanny and I can meet mummy and daddy and my brothers there and we kind of thought about it and we thought that might be quite practical because then he wasn't stuck in a car from you know Perth all the way to Broome uh, on some fairly corrugated roads at times with lots of driving. So we, um, we kind of agreed to it.
2: Very good solution.
1: But uh, plans, plans changed again.
2: (laughs) Well, then COVID restrictions started just creating havoc, didn't they? How did you end up getting your son back? Because you then ended up with the Western Australian borders slammed shut and so on and so forth.
1: Yeah, so we'd be pretty good with COVID at this stage. There hadn't been any cases anywhere for months and months and months. So it didn't really cross our mind. But Two days before they were supposed to fly to Broome, yeah, Sydney got Sydney got one case, so WA shut their borders. So then we were, yeah, pretty stuffed, <laughs> really. He was stuck, stuck in Sydney. So it was a bit of a mission getting him back. How did you end up getting your child back? It's a
2: bizarre situation. You're in Western Australia. Yeah. Your son is with his grandmother in Sydney, recovering from a shark bite. How did you end up getting back together again?
0: So at this stage, we didn't know what was happening we didn't know if it was only going to be for a couple of days if it was going to be for a week and we were sort of in Broome we'd done done our time spending Broome sort of sight we still we still didn't stop sightseeing we'll sightseeing we're we'll doing seeing beautiful places and and doing beautiful trips and tours and stuff so basically Sydney started to get worse we had gone down the avenue of trying to get Jackson to fly over and do quarantine in Perth and one of us fly down and do that. But then Perth wouldn't let anyone from Sydney in at all to even do that. So we're like, well, that kind of stuff's that idea. So what we sort of thought is we'll we'll head over into Northern Territory. We knew we had options over there. We've, they weren't, they were still letting Sydney people in but they had to quarantine there. So we decided to get on the road. And at this stage, Jackson was happy. He was he was at home with Nan, who he gets along with really well. He, was, he, he got to see all his friends out at school. He got to see his other grandparents and got to catch up with family and friends and stuff like that. So he was in a good place at the start. But then they went into lockdown. So he couldn't see his friends or anything like that. And for us, we we're still a long time away from getting to the NT so we basically decided to leave Broome and and head on our way but we couldn't give up the Gib River Road which was on our tr- one of our trip plans which we had a had a good time but we shot through we I think we'd done it in 10 days which I think we originally had 20 days booked just so we could get to the other side because we knew we wouldn't have reception on the Gib River Road so every single payphone, thank thank you to Telstra is free at the moment so we found a payphone just in the most random places and we sort of were still able to check in once a day with Jackson to see how he was and stuff like that and then when we got to the other side we stayed at El Questro station and we're back in sort of phone reception then and we decided I think we decided then or a couple of days later at another at Lake Argyle you know what we'll just bite the bullet one of us will go into quarantine it was Rachel's um 40th birthday so we're like, oh, we'll fly him up on Rachel's 40th birthday. It'll be nice to, for her to see him on her birthday, and then I'll jump into quarantine with him. Basically, my mum turned around. She goes, don't be silly. She goes, I'm stuck in Sydney in isolation. She goes, I'll come and do quarantine with him. We're like, oh, and she goes, then I can have my holiday after. I didn't get to see him in Broome. At least I can travel. So. so, yeah, she said, just slow right down. We'll go do quarantine enjoy yourselves coming over the border and stuff like that. So they flew up, they done two weeks quarantine in Howard Springs and then we got him back. We got him back after, I think it was seven weeks of not seeing him. Wow. Yeah, it was quite tough. I mean, yes, we'll still enjoy our trip, but at the same time, he's a son that you had around you your whole life that all of a sudden you haven't seen in seven weeks. So it was a bit bizarre, but it made it all more special.
2: How was his foot, Blake? By the time he that seven weeks had passed, was it healing well, and was it all going as planned?
0: So yeah, he was he was non weight bearing for two weeks. He got the moon boot off. He was getting I think he was getting extra care from nanny back home. So we always say say now like his scars fading from his two wounds on his foot. We tell her that she did too good a job rub, rubbing solutions and creams and moisturizers and vitamin e oils and stuff like that in so his wounds now like they healed fine the surgeon wasn't a microsurgeon or anything and he was a bit worried that he didn't do a good job and but he'd done a fantastic he did job a
1: fantastic job
0: it, you can barely even see the scar now it's it, it's there and always remind him he's got a good story to tell but it happened and and he's got to live with it and but it hasn't deterred him from going in water or anything kiva
2: wow now, it was always strange that Jackson had seen a bronze whaler shark and assumed that that's what bit him because bronze whalers are not aggressive and it's not typical and it's really very, very rare for one to attack a person uh, in the water. So when and how did you learn that it wasn't a bronze whaler shark that bit Jackson?
0: So what, what happened is the next day we got a core fisheries. They One flip had washed up on the beach. And then, so I drove back, when I picked up the van, I drove back to Coral Bay just because I had to pick up some stuff. The fisheries had rang me and they said they found one flipper. Then when I was in town, I actually got a call from the motorbike tour and he had actually found another flipper. So they chartered a flight from Perth to basically fly the flippers down to do DNA testing on the flippers. And wow. we knew that was all going on in the background. We were driving back up from Perth. I think we went inland because we were heading up to Karagini and got a phone call off fisheries and basically it said it wasn't a bronze whaler, it was a tiger shark. Still to this day, they could never determine the size of the shark. They measured all his wounds and there was just too much, not, not enough information to find out the size of it, but it sort of hit home a lot harder knowing that it was a tiger shark because... They are more aggressive and, and they are killers. So, yeah, it's a bit scary, but we're in their environment. We put ourselves at risk, I guess. Every day we go swimming, putting ourselves out in their environment. So.
2: Has it changed your perspective or Jackson's perspective on swimming? Is it? Have you developed a phobia or anything? Or is it just sort of just be aware of and, and, and swim with that caution?
0: We didn't get to swim in waters a lot because... As we head up north, we're in crop territory and stuff like that. So there was a long period of time that we, we couldn't get back in the water and we are swimming in freshwater swimming holes and that. With Jackson, a lot of the freshwater swimming holes, some of them are beautiful, but some of them have got moss and you can't see the bottoms and stuff like that. So with them, he was a little bit wary, but then we got over to the Queensland coast. We got up to Port Douglas and went out on a trip on the Great Barrier Reef. And we're like, oh, we sort of documented the day and we're like, oh, we'll film Jackson getting back in the water for his first time and stuff like that. But before we had a chance to get the camera out, Jackson had already jumped in. As we said, he's the first in and the last one out, so... We didn't even get a chance to film him. We filmed him in the water, but we didn't get a chance to film him getting in the water.
1: There was a marine biologist on board too, and he was really interested chatting to her. Um, So I think that made him more excited before he actually went in the water. So he didn't actually think twice about going in the water then.
2: That's great. I, I want to make sure that people listening to this podcast don't particularly people overseas, because we have quite a few listeners from overseas, don't get the idea that everywhere you go in Australia, there's some dangerous creature that's going to bite or eat or kill you. We do have a number of creatures, sharks included, that one has to be careful of. But tiger sharks are considered uh, the accidents, um, and they are considered accidents, not attacks, with humans are really rare. So... Please, for anybody listening, keep in mind that shark bites, all species included, are, are really that rare that this story shouldn't freak you out and prevent you from ever swimming at the beach again. Um, and I'm glad it hasn't impacted Jackson or, or anybody in your family in that regard.
0: Travel in Australia, we didn't come across any deadly snakes or anything like that. We did see a couple of things out in the wild, but you stay away from them. You're not gonna get hurt by them
1: they're more scared of you really yeah and
0: that's the same as sharks sharks are beautiful creatures to swim with them in their actual own environment is unreal and as i said the day that happened things just it wasn't our day and fortunately enough for us it bit him but it didn't come back after that so as i said they're beautiful creatures and it hasn't deterred us from getting in the water and and we will swim with sharks again. Jackson will probably end up being a marine biologist because to this day, he still reads shark books. He he can tell you every species um, of fish, every species of sharks. He can tell you their gestational period. He can tell you anything about sharks that you he, want to know. Wow. He
1: recently did a speech on sharks too for school. Oh, that's fantastic. So he's got a, yeah, a bit more of a fascination with them now. Yeah.
2: I want to thank you both, Rachel and Blake. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you both and I really appreciate you telling us what happened with Jackson and with the shark. Uh, Would you recommend that other Australians take some time off to explore this large country?
1: Oh, 100%. Um, And travelling the way we did was an affordable way of seeing Australia.
0: We would 100% recommend it to anyone. I mean, we met so many amazing people doing the same things as we were doing and they will be long life friends and, and that's all around Australia and it's easy to do. People will be like, oh, it must be so hard, but it is it is so easy to do and there's so many different beautiful places. We've traveled the world and we love our own home. And it doesn't have to be in a caravan. We had friends in, in just vans, in high-ace vans and um, smaller setups, the camper trailers and stuff like that. So it's doable, it's real easy to travel.
2: Will you do it again, Blake?
0: I would love to do it in a heartbeat. I'll pack up everything (laughs) today and do it. So will we do it again? We will do it again maybe, but we'll have to see. might be just me and Rach when we're retired. Sounds perfect. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Thanks very much, Lana.
0: Thank you very much. Cheers.
1: Thanks
2: for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with family and friends. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also join our new Facebook group called the Flying Doctor Podcast Community, where you can chat to other listeners. And please do try out our new podcast hotline. You can call and leave an audio message with questions and feedback on the podcast. The number for the hotline is 0284057928. We look forward to hearing from you. The Flying Doctor podcast was presented by me, Lana Mitchell, and senior producer is Mandy Cullen. Thanks again for listening.